Hello and welcome to Woman Self-Made Podcast with me, Marina Bennett. Today my guest is Jessica Hepburn, an award-winning author, arts producer and adventure activist. Jessica tells us about her extraordinary journey of trying and not being able to be a mother and becoming an extreme sports activist in order to overcome that and challenge the nature back. In 2002, Jessica became the first woman in the world to achieve the Sea Street Summit Challenge. She swam the English Channel, ran a road marathon and summit Mount Everest. She is now one of the UK's leading voices on fertility and family and a champion of adventure and extreme sport to improve your physical and mental health. Please welcome Jessica Hepburn. Jessica, hello. How are you today? So great to see you. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for having me on your podcast, Marina. Such a a pleasure. Uh, My first question. You call yourself an author, arts producer and adventure activist. So such an unusual combination and so many things to fit in your life. And I know you do many, many other things as well. So could we start from the very beginning and maybe you can get us a glimpse of your childhood and your early experiences. So just to understand a little bit how you developed to become such an amazing, wonderful individual who you are now. (laughs) How I ended up with this weird job title that... (laughs) No one quite knows what it means, except except I feel like I I do now, and and I like alliteration, obviously, hence all the A's. And it's easiest probably to start with the art arts producing, which is the mm-hmm. the middle bit. Um, when I was little, I always wanted to be an actress, you know, like probably like many little girls. Um, but I was clever enough to realise that I wasn't like a really good actress. I always say that I'm sort of best at playing me and and to be a really good actress you need to be good at playing other people. So quite quickly I decided that I wouldn't be an actress, I'd run a theatre instead. Um, And I went to university and then I sort of climbed the career ladder as you did and um, in my early 30s I basically was running one of London's biggest theatres, a theatre in West London called the Lyric Hammersmith. And I think at the time I was probably one of the sort of youngest female chief executives of a theatre in London. So that's the arts producing part of my job, really. And I've gone on to to do other things in terms of the fields of the arts. But um, I always say that when I was running the lyric, I uh, had like had this exciting, glamorous job, but I also had a secret life. And the secret life was that I was trying to become a mother. Um, my partner and I um, like threw away the contraception, thought we'd get pregnant immediately, um, because that's what we're all told when we're young. Mm-hmm. Um, and after a year, nothing had happened. We went to our first fertility clinic, and it became the start of what became a decade-long struggle to conceive. And for a long time, I didn't... And we might talk more about that, I don't know. But like for a long time... Um, I didn't tell anyone what I was going mm-hmm. through. And then one day I started writing about it. Um, and it changed everything. I mean, I discovered like a passion for writing. I always say that I had never 
written anything before apart from like reports for work but I never written anything creatively and even though I worked in the arts I was um, the manager I was the boss I wasn't I wasn't an artist myself but I I wrote this book that I couldn't find at the time because no one really talked about infertility and unsuccessful IVF and and that book came out nearly 10 years ago Mm -hmm. and it like changed everything for me and I've subsequently I mean I'm not like a hugely prolific writer um but I then went on to write another book and I've got my third book coming out next year so that's the author bit um and then the third bit which is the adventure activist which is like the like probably the hardest thing for um or the most unusual thing let's say um for people to understand very exciting thing yeah and exciting well I love I love you know what's great is that I love all elements of my self uh created job title I really do I genuinely and I love the way that they intersect and the so so basically after my sort of 11th round of IVF um my book had just come out like I I always sort of felt like I would have had a baby by then I mean even when Mm -hmm. my book came out I thought it like it's got a sort of a cliffhanger ending it that it like I'm about to go through another round of IVF and I really genuinely thought that eventually it would work but I just decided that I'd lost a sort of decade of my life to what I call Project Baby. And I decided I need to do something completely mm-hmm. different. And the thing that I decided to do, like in retrospect, what it feels like nuts, um, to use that sort of technical word. Um, but like <laughs> it has, um, it, it, it has changed everything because I was always the like the arty one. Like I said, I wanted to be an actress. I worked in the theatre. Even the writing, even though I'd never done that, like made sense really because I am like a creative person. But I was definitely not the sporty one in school at all. But I used to like swimming when I was little. I wasn't a very good swimmer. I always joke like I, I was a member of a swimming club, but everyone used to laugh that like my best stroke was breaststroke legs. I like I'd never really done much swimming in uh, like in my adult life or I hate like I'd get, occasionally go to the gym but like basically just so that I could have booze and box sets mm-hmm. on the sofa afterwards you know not <laughs> not because I enjoyed it but I decided that I was going to swim the English Channel as you do as you do uh I had no idea what was involved uh, obviously I've told you I wasn't a very good swimmer I had no idea you couldn't wear a wetsuit because the first man to swim the channel didn't so like which is what makes it so hard because it's long and it's cold um and I just sort of started out on this journey to swim the channel and it changed everything you know like it 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 really healed so much of what I had been through and that was the subject of my second book and then I went on and, you know, like, I want to get to the end of this introduction so you can ask me another question. So I'm just going to do this really, really quickly. I, you know, I then went on to run the London Marathon. And last year I climbed Mount Everest and became the first woman to have ever swum the English Channel, run a road marathon and climbed Everest, which is called the Sea Street Summit Challenge. Um, and yes, that's the subject. That climb is the subject of my third book, which is coming out next year. 
Wow, uh, thank you for all of that. And you touched on so many things that I would love to, uh, to, to go, uh, to go in. Uh, and actually, Marina, before you ask me my, the, the next question, what I realized in saying all that is that I didn't really fully, under, fully explain the adventure activist part of that. So just to say that I feel like I've used these adventures that I've been on for activism in the field of fertility and family. Um, and I've done a lot of that work, but then I've also become like an activist for the power of adventure to change your life for the better. So that's the adventure activist. I am in awe of, of, of your story and the strength of character and, um, how you chain, uh, you channeled, uh, the difficulties and pain and hurt into something um inspiring inspiring for for others i would like to actually touch on the second uh, second book um 21 miles and swimming in search of meaning of motherhood so this such a deep and philosophical uh, subject um, did you find the meaning of of, of motherhood so what uh, what i have uh, read and and heard so that was your um, dialogue with nature mm. yeah, and trying to understand when you were trying to become a mother and it was so uh, hard and uh, in uh, unsuccessful nature why and you were confronting uh, with a question so did you um, was was that something you that was going through your mind as you were actually swimming uh, having that conversation of nature and how did it help you uh, having uh, doing that swim in uh, in achieving that yeah oh that that's a really great question and I'll come on to talk about the the sort of relationship with nature in a minute because that has become sort of really profound deep and profound um yeah the book um 21 miles is uh, the the subtitle is swimming as you said swimming in search of the meaning of motherhood um and and basically when i found out what was involved in swimming the channel it just like for, for starters being i was totally terrified and but then it seemed to me that, that there was one redeeming thing about it which is in order to sort of keep warm um in in the sea you need to put on weight or you definitely you know like if you're mm -hmm. really I mean not not that I've ever been super skinny but like you know being super skinny is not good if you want to try and swim the channel and it's essentially a license to eat so I came up with this idea that I was gonna um ask 21 famous and inspirational women to meet with me to eat with me to help me get fat to oh. swim the channel <laughs> and answer the question does motherhood make you happy and so that book is very much about the journey of coming out of 11 rounds of unsuccessful IVF um, and all the pain of that um, and then meeting these amazing women uh, who sort of helped me with their their wisdom um, to uh, uh, and and by eating with me to um, swim the channel and all in search of this answer to this question and what I always say is that at the end of the book I do come to a conclusion about whether motherhood makes you happy. But I always say you have to read the book to get the answer. But um, what I also discovered, and I, I will disclose, and this leads nicely on to the conversation about nature, is that like everybody has something in their life that makes them sad. 
you know, I, I've realized that, uh, um, in my life. I'm 52 years old now, um, through all the people that I've met in all sorts of walks of life and through that journey in particular that, you know, whether you're a mother or not a mother, um, or you're a woman or a man or, or, or whatever gender you are, you know, every, it's part of the human existence that, you know, we lose people too early. We don't get the things that we dreamed of. We don't always feel like we've achieved our potential. People we love let us down, betray us. You know, these things are part of the human existence. Um, and my sad thing is that I wasn't able to have a baby with my own biological baby with the man that I loved, something that I'd always wanted. As well as being an actress, I'd always wanted mm-hmm. to be a mother. And like, uh, you know, that, that was really, really sad. And and remain sad. It will be really sad. And in a way, I, even though I had no idea about the parallels when I bar- embarked on the swim and then subsequently climbing the mountain, there are huge parallels between swimming seas and climbing mountains and, and conceiving a baby, conceiving and carrying a baby. The reason being that nature decides whether that is possible still you know like maybe one day in the future you know man will or woman will be so powerful that like they will develop science that guarantees everyone a baby or guarantees it's possible to climb Everest safely or Mm -hmm. you can swim across the channel whatever but like at the moment nature decides on the outcome of these because it doesn't with the channel it doesn't matter how hard you train or how good a swimmer you are if the sea decides it's not your day to cross me or the or or same with the mountains like you you will not you will not do it and what was so i suppose fundamental for me was that i felt that probably quite betrayed by nature and it brought up all sorts of feelings of shame and inadequacy and you know, like retribute feelings of like somehow that was some sort of retribution for Mm -hmm. not being a good person or doing things wrong in my life or whatever, that nature wouldn't give me a baby. So when she let me cross her sea, it felt like she was, you know, saying that she loved me. Um, and so that's wow. why that journey became so significant. And I often describe it sort of as like my version of giving birth because the swim took me 17 hours, 44 minutes and 30 seconds. And I was very sick at the beginning. Then I was very, very badly stung, stung by jellyfish. Then it took me five hours to land. So, and then once my t- feet touched France you know I had this euphoria and all that pain had gone and and Mm -hmm. that's what I imagine giving birth is like I I mean I I don't know whether you I don't uh, we've only just met Maria so I don't know if you're a mother or you want to be a mother or whatever but like I that's what I imagine giving birth is like so it sort of felt like my version of giving birth really wow wow and uh and the climb so why why did you do that yeah. so having gone to to terms and uh, receiving uh, the acceptance the perceived yeah, acceptance yeah. by the nature how the, the climb came about yeah well it's a really good question and actually it's not something I've spoken about too much publicly because th- that journey is very much explored in the new book that's coming out next year but what was really sad is that on top of all the 11 rounds of IVF, my partner and I ended up splitting up. Oh, no. Um, and 
you know, people always say to me, you know, actually, I haven't talked about it too much publicly. So I'm sort of gearing up to finding the words to talk about that in formats like this now. But people often say to me, oh, was it because of the IVF? You know, did you set the up? Was it because the IVF didn't work? And the reality is when relationships break down, they break down for all sorts of reasons. There's never one reason. I would say there's like, it's easier to give you three reasons or eight reasons than one reason. But of course, you know, the unsuccessful IVF played its part, I'm sure. But our relationship broke down and it was it was really really hard um it felt like a double loss you know like i'd had the loss of not being able to have a baby and then i'd lost the man that i'd loved and just coming out of the the you know like it often takes a long time for relationships to break down in fact that my my book 21 miles there's a sort of there's a that that the story of the breakdown of the relationship is going on in the background but it's not fully explored but uh, and then I I uh, came out of um, after the swim and I ended up running the London Marathon, which was amazing. You know, London is my home city. I'd always, that had sort of always been on my bucket list. But I think that I felt there was a call back to nature um, in a way, you know, because the thing about a marathon is, you know, which is hard, it's not easy in any way, shape or form, but a road marathon, you start in Greenwich, you run to the mile, it sort of doesn't matter, like what the weather is, unless, you know, as long as you don't have an accident, you you get, you do it. Whereas I, I think with the sea and with the mountains, there is something bigger than you in control. Mm-hmm. And I sort of needed to go on an, a different, but similar journey. You know, like I, I am driven by new experiences. We talked a little bit about that earlier in terms of careers. You know, like I, I, I felt like I swum the channel and I wanted to go and experience something different. And boy, did I, you know, like, cause it's, there's a reason why not, uh, no, you know, there's, um, there's one other woman that, uh, um, has swum the channel and climbed Everest. I'm, the first, she hasn't run a marathon, so I'm the first woman to do those three things. But where there's only two of us in the world, women in the world that have done these two things, swim the channel and climbed, climbed Everest. And, you know, like there is extraordinary, like both extraordinary things. So, um, and you're, you're really in a very intimate relationship with nature. And I think that's, and I, I yeah. And, and then the climb was, really tough yeah like we might talk about that so it was very different from the channel in that the channel was sort of perfect a perfect ending and it sort of healed a lot of the infertility and then and then um Everest or I I call her Chumalungma which is her Mm -hmm. original Tibetan name and means mother goddess of the world so I'm sorry I'll interchangeably talk about her as Everest and Chumalungma uh, and yeah, I, I felt like it was a very, very different journey and it wasn't immediately successful. It took me three, att- what well, I, three, essentially three attempts. Three attempts. Yeah. yeah. Well, the first one was a non-attempt because it was in 2020 and COVID shut the mountain. So nobody went. And then I didn't summit in 2021. And then I finally summited in 2022. But I had, a, I was involved in, uh, um, a, a freak accident on the way down. I broke my leg in the death zone. So I sort of like, I don't know if you know, touching the void, like I talk of it as my touching the void story, which is the most famous mountaineering survival story of all time. So like I did get to the top, but it wasn't at all 
what I was anticipating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I've had to go on a journey with that as like, what was my mountain teaching me? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I'm, I feel really good now and, um, I, I feel in an amazing place in my life probably living the best life that I've ever lived and the sea and the mountains have played a massive part in that they're like my religion so do you know what the mountain was teaching you or will it be uh, in the yeah, book yeah I think well I because think because it did it did let you yeah so exactly it, it did let you yeah. finish which is yes, which yeah, is very yeah, yeah. rare and Marina it's brilliant that you've asked that because when I when I didn't summit in 2021 so I talk about three attempts the first attempt was a non-attempt I went in 2021 and I didn't summit and it was sort of devastating on one hand obviously devastating because I'd already been on a huge journey just to, to get there and it you know and I hadn't I'd had because there's only a very small window in the year you can climb Chomolongma or Everest and so like when the mountain was shut in 2020 I knew I had to wait for another year and when I didn't summit in 2021 I wrote this um blog about how very much I had been seeing my journeys with in nature in the sea in the mountains as a kind of little As I feel ashamed to say this right now, but like as a sort of battle, right? So it was one nil to her when she didn't give me a baby and it was one all to each of us when she gave me the channel. So, and then I was wanting it to be like two one. So I got Chomolongma and the channel, but I didn't get the bit. Like that's how I like was like making sense of it in my mm-hmm. head, you know, because all our life stories, you know, just a little bit of philosophy or my belief, you know, like, like we, we're trying to make sense of our life in the world. Yeah. And the things that have happened to us, we're trying to make that coherent. And, you know, the more coherent that you can make that, that the easier it is to sort of move forward with your purpose or your dreams or whatever. So I was trying to, that's how I made sense of it up until that point. But I realized that I was thinking of it in terms of, a battle and when I didn't summit the second year or the, the or, you know my first proper attempt like I realized like Jessica you've got to stop thinking about this as a battle because if you're thinking about this as a battle she has got to win nature has got to win because you Jessica mm-hmm. human being insignificant human being cannot beat nature right so stop thinking about it's a battle So I sort of felt at that point, no, this is right that I didn't summit because I've got to change my thinking here because she's got to remind me that she is always in charge. I mean, I, there were also some practical things, which is that I could really see where my weaknesses are, were having been, you know, because I also describe myself as an unlikely athlete, you know, like I'm 52. There aren't many 52-year-old women who've never climbed mountains or never swum seas and have never been the sporty one doing stuff like this. I'm an anomaly on the mountain. I'm not, I'm unusual. Mm-hmm. And so I need, there were some things that I needed to get better at. And I came home and did that. But um yeah, I, I changed my mindset. And then it became about a different relationship. But when she did let me summit her in 2022, but I had the most, you know, difficult experience up there, 
like all my injuries up there were man-made. None of them were mountain-made. And in a way, you know, she's sort of like in my mind making sense of it. She kind of looked after me because the mountain was very safe on the day that I got, I had the accident. And if the man, if the, if the weather hadn't been good, things mm-hmm. would have been far, far worse. I, I might not be sitting here with you today. So I sort of kind of feel now she loves me, you know, mm-hmm. she gave me, she didn't give me a baby, but she gave me the channel and she saved me on Chamalungma. And yeah, I, that, that's, that's kind of how I, and, and I hope to use these experiences through my writing, through talking in podcasts. I also do a lot of school talks to, you know, help other people, you know, find, find their way through the sadnesses of their life, through the power of adventure, hopefully, or other things. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I was um, emotional just listening, uh, oh, li- listening sorry, to bl- you. I feel like I'm blaring on, but you that. are asking the right questions, Marina. That's why. <laughs> So just on that nature, and it is very, very deep and so fascinating, uh, the way you thought and analyzed and came to this sense and meaning of that. So do you think it was a collaboration in, in the end? Is it Was it a partnership or was it a more of a mother nature nurturing, as you say, yeah. looking, looking after, after yeah. you? Well, I, it, it, again, a really good question because my new book is um, about music and mountains, actually, because it's not only the journey of climbing Everest. Whilst I was climbing Everest, I was listening to every episode of my favourite radio show, which is um, one of the UK's longest-running radio shows. And it's so I've been thinking it's a, it's it's music-based. The show it's called Desert. Island. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Desert Island Discs, which is um, you have to take eight tracks to a desert island. Your sort of most eight important life tracks. So I've been thinking a lot about music and interestingly there's a um a song that means a lot to me about the sea and it's called Marrying the Sea by um a, a musician called Declan O'Rourke and I I do sort of think in a way like I do think of my relationship with the sea and the water as being quite intimate like almost almost like a like a marriage or um I I often um yeah would to talk about it in that respect but with the mountain I feel differently it's it, she is more like my god you know mm-hmm. like and I don't know what I don't I don't know why I have these uh, I suppose because when you're a writer you spend a lot of time in your own thoughts with your own words making sense of like the patterns in your life and the things you experience but yeah I couldn't call it a collaboration with Chomalongma because um she, I, I I feel more like her child, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I yes, she's 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 more of a god. Whereas whereas with the sea, I feel more like we have this. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, again, I'm not sure that I'd use the word collaboration. I think I think because I I had a I did a podcast recently where exactly the same we would. He said, "Oh, do you feel?" He was saying to me, "Do you feel it's a, a water pot, a, a swimming podcast?" And he was feeling, do you feel the water wants you, he was saying. Do you feel the water wants you? That's what I feel, he was saying. I feel the water wants me. And 
I was like, no, 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 I don't feel she wants me. I don't feel she wants me. And then I, I, I got to the point, I went, no, but I do feel she loves me. I do feel she loves me. So like the language is so sort of important, but it's um different with the sea and the mountains and with them. And I wouldn't call it collaboration, but I do think of being her sort of child and her favorite child, her favorite child. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I'm one of her favorite children. <laughs> so do you feel you have found the meaning of your relationship with nature or are you still in that journey are, are you still having yeah. those conversations yeah and to, uh, search of the meaning always because nothing is static right nothing like that you're always learning more about yourself and about other people and the environment so i can't say that it's fixed But I do feel, I'm reading like um, a book by Bell Hooks at the moment. It's written quite a long time ago called All About Love. It's a sort of seminal book about love. And um, there's, I just read, in fact, this morning, which is why it's in the top of my head, the chapter on sort of divine love. Um, and she says it's, you know, it is really important, you know, whether you're conventionally religious or not that like that notion of divine love is important to human beings and and you can get that from a range of different sort of places and so in a way i guess the mountains and the sea have become like my version my church or my my god or like it feels a spiritual connection and it, and you know it helps me in all sorts of ways not least to remind me that I, you know like I am tiny in the universe as well as being enormous, you know, mm -hmm. because I am me. And, you know, like one of the things, like that, one of those sort of existential questions is why are we, why am I me? Why, why aren't I you? You know, like why was I chosen not to have, be able to have a child? You know, like why me? You know, mm -hmm. I, I feel enormous to myself, but I also, the, the mountains and the sea remind me that I'm, I'm, I'm minuscule. I'm tiny. I'm insignificant. And it's really, really good to be reminded of like that. And, uh, yeah. So I, I think that is fixed, Marina, that, that I can't imagine that anything else for the rest of my life is going to come in and replace the significance of the sea and the mountains in terms of being like a spiritual mm -hmm. connection. Thank you. Thank you. You mentioned that you help other people, um, and I don't know if I can call you that. Um, you're a fertility activist and involved in charities and a uh, lot of events and helping people who uh, face similar uh, mm. similar problems. So, what sort of advice are you giving to them? Because you found your way, and it was a difficult and hard journey yeah what uh how can other people cope yeah what sort of advice you give to oh, them well there's so much advice to give you know depends what the particular thing is i mean just in the last two days it's it's good to give it like to give a concrete example like i got i got approached by a student in her 20s this week and said you know i'm writing a like a thesis on fertility can I chat to you I mean one of the things that I feel like I'm passionate about with young people uh, is that they don't get good enough fertility education all we get taught all we, I mean we I say we not me anymore but all young people still get taught is how not to get pregnant mm -hmm. um, they need a, a, a fuller education around fertility and 
you know, like also parenthood today, like is I, I do a lot, even though I was unsuccessful in terms of my fertility journey, I'm sort of very pro the fertility industry and I work very closely with them because, you know, actually um, one of the amazing things about reproductive science is that, you know, we're seeing like so many different ways that people can have families now. So mm -hmm. you don't have to be a heterosexual couple, you know, you can be a solo parent or you can be in a same-sex relationship or you can have a child when you're 50 if you want but you might have to choose an egg donor or you might have to use surrogacy you know like all these things are are possible so I think that it's really really important that we have those conversations and you have those conversations though when when ideally when people are young you know um so that they can make so that they have choices so um you know, like that's one area of the work that I do and very much like the talks in schools that I do is very much focused around that improving fertility education. But then on the other end, you know, like yesterday, somebody that I know from the fertility world asked me if I would support someone who's just come out of her 13th round of unsuccessful IVF. I don't know the details of her story entirely, but you know mm -hmm. some of those will probably be with her own gametes some of might have been with donated gametes but it still hasn't worked because it doesn't work for everyone and you know she sent me a heartbreaking message yesterday just saying like I don't I don't see the point in carrying on you know like please tell me that there is there is happiness and hope you know and so with someone like that I'm just using like the my own life example because you know it is a cliche but time does heal and also you do have to go on another journey and maybe mm -hmm. you have to go on an adventure but your life you know can there are there are amazing other lives to live and that isn't to say that I am not always going to be sad that I didn't get the thing that I wanted mm -hmm. I just know that like there I'm living a different life and it's still a great life it's an amazing life that I would never have lived if I didn't have that other if I'd had that other life right so like that that yeah this is the the breadth of the work if I can go back to the early your early childhood and upbringing and your family mm. were were they important in uh, in helping you become such a strong character uh, what what role the family did, yeah. did well, play well i think family like our families like fundamentally inform who we are whether or whether or not we knew who our families were you know like i really believe that you know my new my new book is very much about um a, a dialogue with my family but i did know about I, I was brought up by my mother and father and I knew them both, but I only knew one of my four grandparents. I never met three of my grandparents, right? But like they are, even though they died long before I was born and I never met them, they're still really significant to who I am, you know? And so absolutely, I think our families make who, us who we are. And I've always been very, very influenced by my uh, paternal grandmother because she was um, a feminist poet uh, in the 20th century. And she, a lot of her poetry was about her struggle 
about wanting to be a writer and an artist, but also being a wife and a mother. Um, and so I think in some respects, what, why she's such an influence in my life in a range of ways is that she was a huge matriarchal figure in my family. I grew up, I, like, I grew up in the house that she lived in, you know, and that my father was brought up in. Um, and so we all believed in women's emancipation and women's rights and women's, um, and so, so there's a huge part of who I am and what I've done in my life that has come from a family that really believed in the power of women. But on the flip side, I, I was also really conscious when I couldn't have a baby. Like one of my big things about shame was that like after women had fought for so long behind us to be seen as more than wives and mothers, including my grandmother, you know, like women had only have only had the vote for a hundred years. That like there I was saying, like, this brilliant career I've got running this big theatre, this amazing like mixing with like actors and directors mm-hmm. and like this glamorous job that I couldn't have had a hundred years ago. Like now it's not enough. Like all I want is to be a mother. And I, I felt a lot of shame around that. So, uh, so undoubtedly, you know, um, my family have played a huge part and my uh, parents, you know, and this I've, I've written a, a little bit about in my first two books and is explored a little bit more, you know, they were quite emotionally vulnerable individuals because of their childhoods, uh, which th- there isn't a time to go into now, but, you know, like, um, they, you know, they, they, my mother was Ill- illegitimate at a time when that was a real label of shame. You know, it's not today, thank goodness, but when my mother was born in 1932, like to be illegitimate was terrible. You know, she mm-hmm. never knew her father. My grandmother, my poet grandmother, like many female poets of the 20th century, ended up committing suicide. My father found her, you know, like they were very, they had a lot of damage, my parents. Um, and, uh, so whilst my home was full of love, um, I was also uh, a parent to my children, uh, to my parents. Um, see, I've just called them my children. That was a Freudian (laughs) slip, right? Um, so I think that was one of the reasons also why I really wanted to have my own family. I wanted to do it the right way around. You know, um, I wanted to be a parent to my own children and not just have to be a parent to my parents because they didn't have the parent sort of influences that they should have had. So, you know, like I, de- I definitely think these, the, all these things, all this, mm-hmm. this, the, these muddled things have made me who I am, you know, and make us all who we are. I mean, I just have the, um, privilege of, I spend a lot of time thinking about it and writing about it. And that's been afforded to me because I haven't had children and because I've created this crazy job where I'm an author and arts producer and an adventure activist. But I spend a lot of my life thinking about this stuff. Thank you. I cannot not ask what is your next adventure? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, People do ask me that, of course. And what my answer to that is like 50 days of meditation. Like, <laughs> like I, I think I need to do 
Is it Vipassana where you go and you are not allowed to use mobile phones? You're not allowed well, to yeah, speak? Yeah. As it just meditating? Well, yes. Well, uh, the thing is, I'm saying that facetiously. That sounds In, harder than yeah, the yeah, exactly. English channel. I think my challenge now is not to take on another big challenge. Like, so, um, that, so I'm using that as a, uh, like, I definitely want to continue to go on adventures. And for my 50th birthday a couple of years ago, I asked my 50 closest friends and family to give me a, a challenge to do over the next decade. And because they all know me really well, nobody gave me, you know, write a book, climb a mountain, swim a sea, because mm -hmm. I've done all that. I can set those huge challenges for myself. And I'm not just saying that I won't, like, do a big challenge again. You know, like, there are a little few things that, like, tick away in my mind. But, like, also I want to do small adventures one challenge I got given was like learn to make a croissant you know a butter croissant from scratch so I went to Paris and I learned to like bake a croissant you know like I think it's like and I love that so I don't they don't all need to be massive, massive yeah like and but also I have to remember that you know also it's equally important for me to tackle things like 50 days of meditation which are really hard for me because it doesn't involve doing something like life-threatening um, or difficult, but the there will be an equal amount of learning in that. Well, I doubt so somehow inside me that there won't be any massive challenges not not coming up in uh, in in, so, in some future. Uh, maybe it will be space. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, I don't Some, feel a calling to space. Something yeah. beyond, uh, beyond nature. Yeah, beyond yeah, yeah. Nature. I don't think, but who knows? Yeah, watch this space. <laughs> watch this space. Watch this space. <laughs> another, another Freudian slip. Yeah. Could you? Uh, could I ask you, please, to give some um, manageable and practical advice for somebody who think, well, it just sounds so easy. Like you, uh, oh, I wanted to be, I uh, always wanted to be uh, a theatre director. I became one. Uh, oh, I decided yeah. to swim a channel, and so I did. I decided to climb Jomalungma, and, and also uh, I did. You, you make it sound really easy. So if somebody's listening and they are afraid of dreaming big and making mm. these big challenges, what, what advice would you give? How to set yourself some goals and more mm. more importantly how do you make it happen without uh, getting just disappointed and stopping halfway mm. well you know it's it's a really important question and I, I i can only be me right so i tackle my life as as me i mean if i was i always say if people people when they say would you give advice to your younger self the advice I always say is be braver sooner. I feel like I waited too long to do these things. You know, and and in a way, doing so much now is because I feel a sense of time running out, right? Mm -hmm. So I wish that I had been braver sooner. So I would just give that as a sort of message. You know, like, if if there are things you want to do in life, and, you know, like, listen to what your soul is saying, what your heart is saying, because your soul or your heart knows the answer to that question, even if you are trying not to listen to it. But, you know, like, really listen to it. You don't need to tell anyone else what it's saying right now, but listen to it and know that's what you want to do in your life. 
And then the only way to do it is to try and do it. And all you have to do in the beginning is take one step, one step Mm -hmm. in the right direction. And then that will lead to another step. And I think people put off taking that first step, you know. I decided, my heart said that I wanted to swim the channel. And I googled, how do you swim the channel? And I found the name of someone and I rang them up and I said, I think I want to swim the channel. That was my first step. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about it. I couldn't even swim very well. But you've made that first step and then that will open up the next step. So be braver sooner and take one step. I had a few more questions, but all of them just fall into insignificance after what you've just said now. So I probably would like to wrap this on this beautiful, uh, wise, deep advice. Be brave sooner and take that first step. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Marina. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica.